Hey, hi, welcome to The Whole Podcast. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church in Green Bay, and joining me today is my very good friend, Becky. Say hi, Becky. Hello, I'm Becky Alcantara. I'm the author and co-founder of Journey to Wholeness, a program designed to help you feel equipped to face life's challenges. And you, by definition, means all y'all. It doesn't mean like people that think that they're broken, because as we tend to say often here on this podcast, we're all broken, man. There's all, we're all got a hitch in our giddy up. You know what I mean? And so um, Journey to Wholeness is a great way to look through that. And this podcast is little bits and pieces of Journey to Wholeness as a way to help you find out um, what brokenness looks like, but more importantly, um, how brokenness can be filled. Um, And so anyway, so today we're going to talk about shame. Yeah. Becky says. Exciting stuff, huh? Yeah. (laughs) That's what we all want to talk about. (laughs) Such an uplifting topic. So what made you decide on shame and where are we headed today, Becky? Well, shame is one of those topics that we don't talk about often enough, and yet many of us feel it. We acquired shame at some point in life, and it's been holding us back. And so it's always important to understand what it is and where it can be infiltrating our lives so that we can recognize it when it occurs, and then we can walk out of it. And so we always like to start a topic by defining what is the term or the idea that we're talking about. And so shame in its definition is a painful, self-conscious emotion caused by an internal state, feeling that something is wrong, dishonorable, or improper done by oneself or another. So what's significant about the emotion of shame is that it's painful. Shame, we feel it. We feel it in our chest. We feel it in our stomach. And it's deep. Uh, It is something that catches our attention immediately. There's often a physical response to shame. You may blush, you may get nervous, you may get shaky. Um, Nauseous. Nauseous, yeah. There's so many different things that can happen when you feel shame. And it really can take you into this spiral because the other significant thing about that emotion is it's very much internal. It's internalized. So it goes deep down within. Um, I love how you said, uh, we, we said a prayer right before we started this podcast, and you, you said it's like a dark blanket. And that's exactly um, what it is, because it encourages us to um, internalize what we're experiencing, but then it can dangerously attach itself to our identity. And not all of our emotions do that, but shame is one of those that really, once it does that, then it taints a lot of what we see and what we think and how we feel about ourselves, which then affects um, our emotions, our mental capacity, our physical capacity, uh, and how we really uh, interact with the world. I wonder, Becky, if the physical manifestations about shame and things like shame are what are what make it a dark blanket because we don't want to revisit that because we physically feel it. We exactly. don't like how it makes us feel and so right. we keep it under a dark blanket. Yes. But it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't sit uh like stagnant there. It doesn't sit uh, mm-hmm. benign there. It right? doesn't, right. It, it's like an active thing that just gnaws and eats like a like a virus. Absolutely. It's it, a breeding ground for a lot of negativity, uh, for toxic emotions. Uh it, it it grows in the darkness. And so you'll often hear people saying, you know, bring that to the light. Because once you look at it and share it, um, Brene Brown talks about shame quite often. And uh, she says that uh, 
shame can't survive empathy or compassion. And so often when we share the thing that we're most shameful about, we often find that the other person will go, well, that's not a big deal, or I've had the same thing happen to me. Um, And we find out that we have created or it has become in the darkness inside of us because we haven't talked about it. It has grown. Um, And that's what's so toxic about shame. It can grow and create other um, experiences, other thoughts, um, and it never goes away. So uh, because we don't take it into the light, it just is left to, like you said, just become something else um, entirely. And now we can't even identify where the root is. And so when we try to fill that space where we're trying to salve that wound, wound mm-hmm. right? We're not using typically because we're ashamed of it. Right. We're not going to, we're not going to expose it so, to allow compassion and something you said, something in empathy, compa- empathy right? Mm-hmm. So we're not, I'm not even going to get to that. Yeah. So instead we fill it with like, I wonder if we don't fill it with like uh, behavior or right. like, you know, like uh, manifestations. So that way that fills it somehow, somehow like yes. repeating it or somehow like doing something akin to it. Sure. Like, makes it feel like, okay, well that's a, you know what I mean? I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. If you've been following along with this, we've talked about how the brain will fill in the narrative, right? And so as soon as we've decided something about anything at all, now our brain looks for support to reiterate that. So mm. we're more aware. We're uh, looking for items, not consciously or subconsciously is looking for any data that will support that fact, which is why we can enter into other feelings that are very um, dangerous. For instance, feelings of shame are often associated with humiliation, with helplessness, with vulnerability and being exposed, um, of being defective or less than, of being alienated or isolated because you see yourself as damaged or cast out, and then feelings of rage as self-protection because if you're that vulnerable, now you have to form this defense. Mm. And so you can see how quickly it can escalate um, when we leave it unaddressed and cover it up it starts to grow but not only grow it starts to self-attack and that's what's really dangerous about it because now this is something that you have decided this isn't something uh, external influence has caused you have decided that and we've talked about as well how when we keep things within and we're the authority over ourselves and we keep reiterating these thoughts about ourselves and about the shame that it grows and the only place that we can dig that out no one can dig that out for us it takes intentional work for us to do that as well as help from the holy spirit because it really takes um, god's view of us to really help us clear up our view of ourselves i wondered as you were talking i'm probably jumping all over your map today and i'm really sorry so if we have to circle back and do stuff that's okay but it in what you just said, it made me realize that sometimes there's shame, and maybe we're going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's shame that's rightful, mm-hmm. rightful. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we did something, right? Right, and uh-huh. then we feel shame about it. But sometimes there's stuff that we didn't even do, but we were shamed anyway, right? And so I feel like both are bad, but somehow like an invalid shame seems even more destructive, right? Exactly. Because we're going back to that narrative that we created. So at some point we experience something. It's often in childhood because we're not mature enough to decipher something. So let's say um, someone catches you being curious about something and they come in. They're like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? That's awful. That's bad. And instead of hearing that's bad, the behavior, the thing I was just doing was bad even though there wasn't bad intentions on your part because you're a kid and you're innocent, um, you heard instead that you're bad bad. because you haven't yet matured enough to understand that there's bad behavior and then there's bad 
people. Well, bad people, we know what God says about that. He says we're all created good. And so if we're really talking about the behavior, shame does have... So we always talk about how emotions are a benefit test, right? They're helping us to see something that needs some attention. And so definitely, like you said, that um, its goal is to bring awareness to something that's also that we can take positive action. Shame grabs our attention deeply. Like we feel it in every red flag in our body, in our mind, in our emotions, um, because it often is pointing us to something that is wrong, something that's going to deeply hurt or debilitate someone else or ourselves. And so our brain is saying, hey, this is not okay. But what happens is in the darkness, when something gets covered up, it can translate to, hey, I'm not okay. Something is inherently wrong and broken inside of me. Now, we may feel that way sometimes, but what the goal of shame is to do is to bring your awareness, to grab your attention so that you can pause and notice it rather than plow forward so that you have an opportunity to correct that behavior. Mm. However, if we don't go back to it and assess it and give it our attention and understand and actually put facts and that perception to that, because shame, again, lives in perception. I have a perception of myself that is skewed. It is wrong. Uh, the perception or the fact or the reality may be that there was some inappropriate behavior, something wrong that could hurt someone else or myself. And so that has to get addressed. So the danger lies in that it gets covered up. As soon as we have a conversation about it, as soon as we uh, measure that against what we know is morally right and good, then we can address it and move forward. When we don't, that's when it can be really dangerous um, in that it attacks the identity, so our dignity. Mm -hmm. And when it gets to that point, if you're not having a conversation with anyone else, there's no one who's going to talk you out of that. Um, and if you're not seeking tools, you're not going to talk yourself out of that. That's good. I like that. I, <clears throat> again, I'm really sorry I'm all over the map. But I wonder, like, this, this, our reaction, our emotional reaction to, you know, these circumstances, right? Whether they're... Um, Um, on our own or because of something we've done or something that someone's accused us of? Mm -hmm. Like, where does the sense of shame come from? Like what, you know what I mean? Like if, and maybe this is an existential kind of question, like maybe right. it's like a, you know, creator or, mm -hmm. you know, bing bang question. I don't know, <laughs> but I just feel like, like, like I know my dog can feel shame, mm -hmm. but not until like, I yell at her, right? Mm -hmm. Then she has this look of shame on her face. <laughs> right. But I feel like a, just a, you know, a beast, right? My dog's not a beast. She's very sweet and super cute. But like an animal, right? Just behaves, mm -hmm. right? There's no, you know, they don't feel convicted or condemned or, you know, we're all uh, shamed. <laughs> they mm -hmm. don't feel shame, right? right? Unless they tear up the toilet paper roll and we yell at them, did you do this? Right? right? Then, then they're like, oh, I don't know what's happening, but I'm scared. Right. Right. But like, they don't feel shame. So why do we feel shame? Why do mm. why do we feel shame? Yeah, it's definitely uh, the work of the accuser, isn't it? Mm. If we can feel that we're less than, if we don't measure up, if if he could convince even the garden that she didn't have all the capacity and faculties, the blessings, and wasn't made in the image of God, that she was lacking something. Now there's some shame. What did we see in the garden? Immediately, Adam and Eve covered themselves up because they were ashamed. They were ashamed because they had 
been convinced that they were separate from and less than. So shame attacks our identity. It attacks how we were created and our measure of goodness. And when we are striving to be good and we're looking for that maybe approval from others um, and we perceive that others don't approve of us, we can feel ashamed that we don't quite measure up. It's a complete and direct attack on our identity. Um, when we when shame becomes toxic, right? Again, we talked about there being some things that are shameful acts. Yes, that was inappropriate and really, really wrong. And your emotions are trying to get you to be aware of that quickly because that was detrimental. But when it starts to attach itself to our identity, now now we're um, incapacitated. We're disabled in our emotions and our ability to grow. We actually uh, send our sympathetic nervous system into a fight flight freeze reaction, which basically overruns your whole operating system. And when that is a continuous uh, experience of somebody, uh, now I feel shame in everything I do. I'm ashamed if I got my work wrong and I made a mistake on, on a, you know, a project. I'm ashamed when um, I uh, yell at my dog and I feel bad about it and I'm a horrible person, right? And we just keep reiterating that. Now we're overloading our system, which really incapacitates us. And isn't that the work of the accuser to incapacitate us, to tell us that we're not really who God made us to be and that we aren't capable of good things, which is the opposite of anything that uh, scripture tells us. In fact, to reiterate, God sent Jesus to show us the way and to let us know that we need to see ourselves through different eyes and not clouded by the perception that we're less than or inadequate or damaged or worthless or unlovable, but that we're actually valuable treasures that he came to rescue, that we were worth rescuing. Mm. And so he came and sent his son. And so the fact that we still struggle with shame is mind-blowing. It's the same tactic that's been used since Genesis 3 in the beginning of time, and yet we still keep falling to the same tactics. What we need to do is understand, and we have that opportunity now in this time and age, to understand what these concepts are, how they affect us, what they're doing to us, so that we can recognize those flags and we can start to course correct. Because for too long, we've used shame thinking that that was going to make us good, right? But we know that negative action, negative talk, negative um, behavior doesn't actually course correct or make anything better. Jesus showed us the way. He came and he loved and he was graceful and merciful. And yet for some reason, we still use shame thinking that's going to motivate us into being better when actually all it does is reiterate and plunge us deeper into the depths and darkness of the cover. Is it fair to say that it would be impossible for us to make it through life without committing an act or 200 acts that we regret. Sure. And so, but that regret doesn't necessarily have to lead to shame. That if you could deal with regret yes. healthfully, yes. you don't end up with shame. Yeah. It's a simple formula, really. I do something wrong. I assess it. I correct it. Right? What can I do better? We don't have to live in, oh my gosh, I made this mistake and it's causing these problems and I'm, a, and then jump to, I'm a horrible person and I'm worthless. Like, think about, like when you say it out loud, it seems ridiculous saying right. it, right? And yet we do that every day within ourselves. And because we do it within ourselves, there's no one making a counter argument. And what we have to do as mature adults is to learn how to have those arguments with ourselves when we have this narrative happening within our minds that's, 
constantly beating us down, constantly um, being self-critical and blaming and really neglecting those feelings and stuffing them away and allowing them to grow in that dark place, we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to be able to grow creatively and become everything that we're capable of because we're stunting any growth or any ability for creativity and for problem solving and for really excelling in the minds and the bodies that God gave us that are capable of so much. And so we're really self-sabotaging when we're allowing shame to grow inside ourselves. So we really have to acknowledge and know that what you may have felt in the past um, because you didn't know any better, there's no shame in having felt shame, right? You just didn't know any better. Now that I understand how shame works, and now I understand how that script is flowing, and now I understand what it's for, now I can start taking action to correct that. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to plunge back into that miry muck that I used to hang out in. What I can do is say, how can I do better? What can I change so that that doesn't happen again? Super simple, right? Not super simple when you're in interactions every day and it's not a muscle that you've been working, you've been using. But as you do, it becomes a lot simpler and you will experience shame exponentially less than you did before just by breaking that habit or that pathway that you've just kind of slid along because you didn't know any better in the past. Yeah. I feel like when we when we move from regret to shame, we're <clears throat> we're like sometimes uh, Pastor Sean will say we're we're writing that in you know you know in granite, yeah, right, not in sand. Mm-hmm. That's what happens because regret can I mean really really should only be written in sand. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I did this, and then yeah. the waves come and they right. smooth it all out, right? Well, I just think of. God's voice came from heaven, forgiven, yep. right? Every time you see a cross, it's that reminder, forgiven. Yep. Well, I made this mistake and I really blew it, God, forgiven, yep. right? Pre-forgiven, it's prepaid, right? Right. For us, it was prepaid. Yeah. So uh, from now until forever, anything you can possibly do. So why are you condemning yourself right. when condemnation doesn't come from God? Right. Yeah. And again, so then you have to ask yourself, like, what, what, how are you idolizing your shame? If you allow it to sit in granite that way, if you allow it to be unforgiven or not accept God's, you know, forgiveness, like what? Are, so what? What benefit is it giving you to hold on to it? Mm-hmm. You know, like what? What are you getting out of it? Yeah, and we've used it as a motivator. And I have to say, and um, we learn and grow, right? For a time in our church history, shame was used to. I, I'm sure some of you heard from a pulpit, shame, shame, yep. yeah. <laughs> right? And. Uh, I laugh now, but I remember sitting in the pew as a kid hearing that and just feeling like, yep, I'm the worst person ever. My gosh, have mercy on me. And not getting to the point where he was like, yeah, forgiven, mercy, grace, you're good. Keep moving forward. I love you. I think you're amazing. And a lot of us have lived in that for a long time. And we received it from a place of authority, right, in our churches, from our pews. And you know, was that the right thing? Someone thought it was at the time that shame is a great motivator and it really is. But what it motivates us to do is to hide and cover up um, and to blame and to be really critical and self-destructive toward ourselves. And there's no greater weapon than a self-destruction toward yourself because no one really can stop it, especially when um, it's on its own. Yeah. And can we sit there for a second? Not yeah. sit there, but I mean, I just want to touch on that because I feel like, wait, say those words again because now I've already forgotten what you said, but I had something to say. Yeah. It's self-destructive. Right. So it's 
the greatest weapon that we could have against ourselves is self-destruction. Crap. It was really good too. Becky. Wow. It was so good. <laughs> it was, it was so good. It, anyway, I just feel like for me, you know, you talk about shame and you talk about, you know, pulpits and you talk about like, like I, I know that I make mistakes mm-hmm. and I'm going to keep making mistakes and I want to make less mistakes tomorrow than I make today. Mm-hmm. I want to make better mistakes tomorrow than I make today, right. you know, less hurtful mistakes yeah. tomorrow. And so, but I'm going to acknowledge them, right? And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write them down, but I'm going to write them down in sand, right? right? That, you know, okay, I did this. I see it. I see that I did that. So it's not like you can just like, I don't know. I, Cause I, sometimes I feel like I, I take, I get a bad rap mm-hmm. because I talk about love a lot and I talk about grace a lot. And sometimes then the, pulpity people will be mm-hmm. like but you still have to address yeah. sin and you still yeah i'm not saying there's not not right. sin like there's totally sin there's totally right. regret there's totally disappointment there's t- but if you ever think that you can make it through life without living up to god then you're crazy right you're, you're never gonna get there and for those these dudes in their suits and their television shows that think that or say that you can you can't mm-hmm. and so i know that i can't and so i just have to make sure that my regret doesn't move into shame yeah because god says quite clearly in Romans 8, right? For now, there is no condemnation for those right. who live in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it says. It says something like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. And it's not to say that there's not accountability and responsibility, because that's what these emotions are trying to bring us to. But the point of it is that we address it and we move forward and then we don't camp there. Um when we camp there and we're hiding, it's going to trigger other things. It, it can trigger us to uh, cope. It can trigger us to addictions to help us to numb the feeling and the ache of feeling like you're worthless and, and you don't have value. It can lead to compulsive behaviors or harsh criticism or self-degradation. Um, what we need to do is understand that it's an opportunity to learn, change, improve, or do something differently the next time around. And so while Shame is a big motivator. It's not sending us in the direction that um, God intended for us. And so, yes, we camp on grace and love and mercy a lot. uh, But that's because we know that camping in the other place only leads to opening the doors to other um, feelings that uh, it just attaches itself to, for instance, um, envy and rage and um, gosh, so many debilitating uh, emotions that we usually often, usually, often accompany shame. So it can breed anger, it can breed um, Mm. sadness and depression and loneliness and emptiness. So it really takes you to the pits really quickly if it's not addressed. Now, that may be appropriate, right? There may be something that you did that was grave. So that's why it's telling you, hey, acknowledge this and act quickly. But when we don't act quickly, instead we cover up. And really the word shame comes from uh, the root word comes from to cover. Uh, we have this in our in our humanity, in our flesh. We have this desire to cover up because we're overwhelmed by the fact that this was an awful thing. But what we need to do is to fight against that um, inclination, right? It's the same inclination that Adam and Eve had. What did they do? They covered up. They hid away from God. And God's telling us, you don't need to do that. Yes, it was a grave thing that you did, but my mercy is great. My forgiveness is great. The way I made you is 
amazing and you have the capacity and ability to correct this and that's what I'm calling you to. That's what my love calls you to. That's what my mercy. It's not a tucking away. It's not a forgetting about. It's not a pretending it didn't happen. That's what shame is not telling us to do, right? And yet our sinful nature tells us cover it up, right? Don't deal with it. And yet when we do that, then it grows and it becomes uglier and bigger than it ever needed to be. And it really inhibits our ability to have a life-giving experience or uh, the life that God intended for us. If you're a Jesus person, you know this. If you're not a Jesus person, I really want you to know this, that that shame, I don't believe, and you can stop me uh, if I'm misspeaking, mm-hmm. shame is not a tool of God. Like this, this isn't a, a thing that God uses. It's not a, it's not a, you know, long shame. I remember when I was a kid, we would do long shame, mm-hmm. which was like, you would like point your finger at someone and then you'd start with your finger at your shoulder and you'd make long shame. <laughs> like, like, like it was like, not just like shame on you with like one finger. It was yeah. like, it was like your whole arm's worth of oh, shame. Oh gosh, I forgot that little yeah. action. Yep. Oh. And so like, that's not God, Mm-mm. you know, there's, 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 you know, there's layers to it like an onion. I get it. But like, like I keep saying, you know, if we allow our regret to grow and I want to say blossom, but blossom in a negative way, mm-hmm. you know, and to shame, fester. that's fester, not like uncle fester from the Adams. Family. I know I did like him, Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, like, uh, if we allow that, that's not God's will. And so mm-hmm. God talks about that. You know, I mentioned Romans eight where, um, it says, uh, there is now, therefore now, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death and shame. Furthermore, it says, let me just get to this other part in verse 35. I'm reading out of the American Standard Version. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Meaning, who can separate us from all the things the love of Christ has mm-hmm. for us, including the absence of shame, mm-hmm. Right. Shall tribulation do that, or anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through whom that love us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heart, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the thing is, is that this thing that we might feel shameful for, this thing that we might regret, it's going to have a, it's going to have like an immediate consequence, right? Sometimes, sometimes they're just bad decisions and nothing, no one's going to get hurt. Nothing bad's going to happen. Sometimes we're going to regret something that we've done and it's going to, there's going to be big consequences, right? Like, oh, I totally spent all my money on booze and now I can't pay my rent. Well, I mean, in the immediate, you probably aren't going to lose your house, right? <laughs> right. In the immediate. But that, what God's saying is that the immediate is nothing, mm-hmm. right? Eternity is forever, forever. Mm, so good. Right. And so like, that's the part that you got to be assured of. And that's the part that he does make assurances for that when Christ died for us, when he gave us Christ and Christ died for us, which was the whole transaction, all that stuff, like you had said earlier, forgiven, forgotten. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Right. And when we want to camp on that place, we're just reiterating what's already been done. Like you said, the immediate consequence happened already. That's the pain of sin. That's the, that's the consequence of sin. That is, experience that you experienced the awfulness of whatever occurred that was it yeah god doesn't have more to throw at you and that's our misperception of god remember shame comes up 
from perception. Right. So if someone said shame on you, then they had a misperception, right? But if you're saying shame on yourself, what is your perception saying to you? And what is your perception of God? Because if you're sitting there feeling ashamed because you feel that God is throwing rocks at you because you're an awful person and he's stoning you, he isn't. He said that consequence of your sin, that's the pain. That was yep. where you were responsible and accountable and you experienced it. And that's not what I want for you. Yeah. And in case you're not sure, I'm going to send Jesus to eat up and pay for the rest of what you right. think you still yeah. owe because you didn't get it the first time. <laughs> and right. so I'm going to reiterate here and bring him myself down to earth to remind you and let you know that you are good and you are loved and I don't want you to experience any of this. So why are you doing it to yourself? So shame on me for eternity? Like, no. Like, so. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm, I yeah, never interrupt no. you, but like our good doesn't come from, we don't manufacture our good ourselves. Mm -hmm. So like put that away, put, right. put away the thought that you learned in Sunday school nope. or catechism or anything else. Right. We're like, our good doesn't come from what we manufacture. Right. And so that's why you could say, well, I did this thing wrong. And so now into perpetuity, I'm going to be shamed. I'm right. shameful. I'm ashamed of myself. Right. And I feel like shame is just another way to say that I'm not going to forgive myself. Right. right? I'm not going to forgive what I've done. And so God might forgive me. That's fine. He can do all his crazy wizard all by himself but me i'm not going to forgive myself but to not forget sorry i don't know why i'm yelling right now yeah talk. but to not forgive yourself puts you as my friend nikki gumbel once said puts you as a higher tribunal as mm. a higher judge a more supreme judge than god mm. saying well okay but god might forgive me but i don't forgive me right and how ridiculous is that right it's exactly that's exactly it putting our own perception above what god says is true again facts here's the facts that we believe based on the word of god that's our truth and then our perception what we think that we still owe it often comes down to this transactional god isn't a god of transactions right he's a god of gifts and often we're trying to make this transaction well this was awful so i will keep trying to make up for pay back recompense for what I think was wrong or what I perceive the others see as wrong in me. Yeah. And we don't take the time to correct it based on facts and reality and truth for whatever reason. Shame, right? It grows in secrecy, silence, and in judgment, our perception. So I'm judging myself, even though God judged me and he forgave me and he said, go free and sin no more, um, just like he did in, in um the gospels that word is for us as well we go out and we go no i think i still owe you something and so i'm going to live my life being ashamed of what i did and always trying to pay back good doesn't come from us are we capable of good yes but good is god good comes from yes. god and so you can try to manufacture good but it's always going to manufacture be manufactured and be secondary to the good that god gives us yeah. and so why do we try to create something different than what he already gave us again back to the garden is what eve was trying to do she thought she had to manufacture something that god had already given her it's the biggest lie of the enemy it's the biggest shade over our eyes that we can have and we live too often in shame so i'm sure you're all like okay i get it now how do i break the shame how do i silence shame in my life because uh as much as i think i might be the only one struggling with it or have struggled with it i know when i have conversations i'll have 10 people like raise their hands in a group of 12 that say i struggle with shame on a daily basis and it's been 
infecting and infiltrating every area of my life. Um, you bring it to the light. You speak it. You you say, here's what happened. And here's my perception. And just like in our conversation, sometimes you realize, wow, that was a huge leap I made from here's this mistake to here's who I am. It had nothing to do one with the other at yeah. all. Maybe something that you did experience or you did do was more grave than that. But the the question or the the task at hand is then how are you going to correct that? What change are you going to make so that it doesn't happen again? Go and sin no more. I think about a friend of ours uh, in some some group conversations that we've had that she, she'd been carrying a shame for a long time. Oh my gosh, yeah, a long time. Mm-hmm. And from the outside, you look at her and you're like, oh my gosh, girl, you yeah. got it going on, and look how you're blessed you're you are. And look at the inspiration you are to people. But she couldn't even receive that gratification or mm-hmm. that that sanctuary or that the, or God's grace because she needed to hang on to this. Like she just felt like this thing that she did was so insurmountable, so great that it would always keep her from God's love and the love of other people yeah. and the admiration of other people. Shame was filling her cup, and yep. so she could not receive anything else. Nope. And no so room. it's up to us to bring it to the light and speak it. Because then the next thing you have to do is untangle what you're feeling, right? What happened? Why did it happen? When did this happen? And how do I feel as a result? You have to name it. You have to acknowledge it. Because until you do, you're not going to be, remember how your brain works. It's going to look for support for what you've decided. When you name it and say, here's what happened, here's when it happened, here's what happened, and here's how I'm feeling about it. Now it's going to look for support after that to confirm what you decided um, so that you can third separate who you are from what you do there's a difference like you said between regret and shame there's a difference between guilt and shame we have to understand the basic definitions of what those are and if they're appropriate in our lives and what they're trying to tell us and then third know what triggers you right take a time out pause, understand your story. If you have a narrative in your story that you realize, oh my goodness, because of what happened when I was this age or what happened in my relationship, that I am triggered now whenever I encounter something similar, immediately I feel shame. I don't know about you, but there are times where I would feel shame and it had nothing to do with what I was encountering or experiencing or interacting in in that moment it was because it was reminding me of another event in my life where I felt shame and so often you can feel that way where suddenly you get red faced suddenly you you feel nauseous or sick in your stomach and you're not really even sure why that is a shame that is deep in deeply embedded in you from a past experience that is being triggered today by something you're encountering. So if something happened, let's say, um, with someone who had a beard and uh, blue eyes, and you are working now with someone who has a beard and blue eyes, and they say a certain word, suddenly you're triggered back to that moment where you were, and you're not sure why you're having a hard time interacting with this person, because you haven't spent time to know what triggers you. Know that, yes, I know now that uh, I look, my father was harsh. And so I get intimidated by males who have a similar voice or who wear the same cologne or who have similar mannerisms. And I need to acknowledge that so that I know and can tell myself that's not happening again. And that's a key phrase for a lot of people. It's not happening again. If you felt shameful about something in your past and maybe you had a part of it or you're embarrassed because you didn't know any better and it happened to you, or maybe you contributed to it and then it blew up and it became something ugly that you didn't intend. And now you're experiencing something today that's triggering you. You have to be able 
to know that one, that type of environment is going to trigger you or it's possible. And then two, you need to be able to tell yourself it's not happening again. You have to redirect your mind and your heart so that you can operate in your life today appropriately. And then third or last, it's not third, I think it's like fifth, (laughs) um, is reach out. Uh, Remember that shame doesn't live in empathy or compassion right? The minute you bring it and lay it in the middle of a room with trusted friends and people that love you and they look at it and they go, yeah, that's not so ugly. Or yeah, I've had the same thing. Or really, how did you make that leap from that act to that thought about yourself? Um, It really can't survive. And so reach out to someone that you can share what you've been experiencing so they can help you clear up your perspective, right? It's all about perspective. What facts did you change and up in your perspective to give you a certain view or feeling of shame about yourself, about your life, about whatever occurred in your past? Some of us need a mediator, right? Like I think about like uh, when people are going through a divorce, right? Sometimes you need a third party in there that's, you know, un, uh, that's unobjective. That's, I don't know, some word, like yeah. not partisan, right? Yes. That they're just like, oh, I'll take a look at this. And just from like a unconnected way, say, oh, this is right. This is wrong. This is what's fair. This is what's not. Because in a, in a, in a, in a divorce part of a marriage, like you, no one's even thinking right, much right. less feeling right or talking right. right. And so you're not even seeing clearly. Right? Mm-hmm. But you need someone to say, oh, this is what would be fair here. Mm-hmm. So if we're in this argument with ourselves, inside of ourselves, yes. about what we're shameful about, exactly. we need a third party mediator. Because yes. if it's us, if it's me against myself, that's two. I need a third party to step in and say, oh my gosh, no, you've totally missed this part. You've totally missed that part. Right. And so I feel like this is a great roadmap for overcoming shame. And I love it. Um, uh, Again, for those of that maybe don't know Jesus, this is a great place to start. But I know that for me and my shame, there's no way that I could have gotten through that without the Jesus part of my life. Mm -hmm. That I just, like, I'm just not clever enough or strong enough or whatever. And, you know, it makes me think of something you said earlier in that bit where you were talking about, because a lot of people talk about, and this is a defining moment, and right? And we go through these things, these mistakes that we've made, and we, and we not only write them in granite, but we, and we build these monuments, defining moment of who I am. This is who yeah. I am because of this mistake that I made. And from this day forward, I'm always going to remember this, and I'm going to let this define me. Yeah. And I feel like we've talked about her song before, and it's not like I'm president of the Lauren Daigle fan club, but... So Lauren Daigle's song, you say, has been number one on the Billboard chart, some Billboard chart, for like 100 weeks. Really? Right? 100 weeks. Wow. And no song has ever been on the chart of any chart mm. for that long. And so there's something that she says in that song, that not that she's a great singer or she's a great whatever, but there's something that she says that resonates with people. And for me, it's because I'm not who I say I am. I'm not who my friends say I am or my enemies say I am or my dad says I am or whatever else. I'm who God says I am mm-hmm. because some I've got the wrong perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm looking through cloudy glasses. I'm looking, trying to find my way around the monument that I built to my shame and I'm trying to look around it to see who I am and I can't see it, but I am who God says I am. Yeah. You know, and so I feel like I need that Jesus part. Yeah, I that's amazing. I didn't know that about that song. Maybe the people around you too have a clouded perspective, right? And it... <laughs> I want to point this out because I think a lot of times we can kind of camp on, well, my parents or my aunt or my teacher or my pastor, and we can put blame there. And if you need to hear about blame, that was a few weeks ago. Um, We can leave blame there and not feel compelled to actually address it, right? And if you have a cup full of shame and blame, well, now you're just really overwhelmed. And there are sometimes that we just didn't have people around us 
that knew or had the tools to help us get that perspective straightened, right? And so if you've been relying on people and you feel like, well, I've done that, I've talked to people and they've just confirmed for me that I'm an awful person, then you're talking to the wrong people. And it's not that they're ill-intending. Sometimes it's hard to acknowledge someone else's someone else's need for letting go of shame because they're holding on to shame themselves. So they don't actually know the pathway to get out of there. Um, but it was the best that they had to give you. Cause remember shame is still a great motivator. It's just motivating us in the wrong direction. Yeah. So have acknowledged that, that they weren't out to hurt you intentionally. They thought they were doing something good for you. But if you don't have that crowd of people around you, then know that you can go to his word you can go to resources that are going to encourage you to help you get your perspective straight. If nothing else, but that simple song um, and not so simple, but profound song that Lauren Daigle put out there that really tells you who you are. The fact that it's been on the billboards for a hundred weeks lets you know how many people have struggled with shame, have struggled with an attack on their identity and believing that they're less than the, what they were and who they were created to be. And so um, that just tells me that there's a fight for us to fight, that we really need to confront shame in our lives. But remember, when you confront shame in your lives, you there's this ripple effect that it affects everyone that you love around you. And so if you're struggling with shame, you have to think about, uh, are my loved ones struggling with shame because I have emulated that for them or I haven't given them or taught them the tools on how to walk out of it because I haven't walked myself. Yeah. So... Listen, if you're if you're looking for more tools like this, right? If you're looking for ways out of shame or out of blame or out of something else that rhymes with blame. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> a great way to do that is through Journey to Wholeness. Yes. And so... We have uh, courses starting up this fall uh, in the Green Bay area, but also we will be offering an online version so that if you're out of the area, you have an opportunity to walk through these topics as well and get to the root of whatever may be holding you back. Yeah. We'd love for you to be a part of uh, Journey to Wholeness. I know that uh, Becky and I are just completing a course uh, together and it's been fantastic. Um, and so uh, let me encourage you. Where can they find more information about that? Becky? You can go to our website at j2wholeness.org. That's the letter J, the number two, wholeness.org org for classes and also more resources to help you on your journey. That's awesome. Hey, this was good today, Becky. Thank you. Thanks. I thought shame was going to be scary, but I feel like there's just a, a, a there's a lot of hope. There is, you know, absolutely. And so you just have to be paying attention and tear down those monuments and break up that granite because the mistakes you've made uh, need only be written in sand. So until next time, thanks for joining us for the whole podcast. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone that you feel like could benefit from the words that we uh, share today. We also encourage you to subscribe uh, to the whole podcast and any one of your favorite podcast channels. In the meantime, we could also use your support. If you uh, get anything uh, out of this podcast, please visit lifechurchgreenbay.com slash giving so you can help us support uh, these podcasts and keep them going. It takes a little bit of resources to make them happen, and we sure love your teamwork making that happen. So until next time, this is Pastor Scott and my friend Pastor Becky. Say bye, Pastor Becky. Bye. (laughs) See you next time.